0: Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to hundred dollars. Just visit PrizePicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at PrizePicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Prize Picks daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to the Wagon Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Kimber. On this show, we record weekly with questions from the audience. This podcast is funded by Patreon, which you can join by clicking a link in the show notes. And there are many other benefits, but one of which is to ask questions first on this show. Welcome to another episode of Wagon Wheel. With I, I, don't know, I don't know if he's a new regular guest, but uh, he can't find his own podcast, so he's he's moved, he's moved days. Uh, perhaps he's sick and tired of me asking him questions, and he prefer uh, for the audience to ask him questions. But it's Barrett Sundarisen, thanks for uh, two weeks in a row. This is uh, it's it's so weird to actually have you around for two weeks in a row.
2: Oh, come on, but it's good to keep it interesting, right? You don't know, is it a Monday? Is it a you know, eventually I am going to turn into a wrestling character. So this is just me. Like, you know, am I going to appear on Monday Night Raw or on SmackDown? I know this see, doesn't make any sense I see more as the character. Heather
1: Locklear of this podcast. Is that a reference? Does that mean anything to you, that reference? I know she's an actress. <laughs> so Heather Locklear was the special guest star on her own show for like, Four years or something uh, oh, really? and i always loved that but you were never sure if she was actually going to turn up or not even <laughs> though it was qu- quite clearly she was the major star of the show um uh, yeah that that one might be a little bit i mean i forget that i'm older than you uh as well not not just the fact that we have different cultural references uh but thanks for coming on again uh we'll start with the questions uh patreon if you're desperate to ask a question patreon's the best way go on support us on patreon i can help um you know give money to barrett to buy those hats uh you know all all the uh different things uh that the money goes towards i think that's the first thing that it goes to costume. Uh, uh but if you do want to ask questions there but if you're in the youtube chat and you want to ask them of course the other way is to go on uh, on um, to the super chats um but any questions to go through if they take out i will have a look at them but to start the show josh says We talked about a world test championship draft last week. Any chance of you and the 99.94 crew actually doing one as a fun special video? Well, I would say this, I think me and Barad are the only people left of 99.94. Sadly, uh, that has disappeared. Um, uh, But I think, I think this is an interesting one going ahead. I'm I'm just going to do this. This is completely off the top of your head and we can go really, really deep with this. And I think we can get someone like Bayram uh, perhaps on as well. But if I gave you the number one pick, you would pick Ravid Jadeja as number one? Yeah. Is that correct? Okay. And now I'm going to say, if you had the number two pick, who would be the second player that you would pick in world cricket? i will um, pick Manus Labushin. Ooh. So I thought you would say Pat Cummins. Right? Mm. And Pat Cummins is a really interesting one because I reckon a year ago that would have been solid. And now I'm not Ooh. sure if the market hasn't uh, you know, and then I don't know where the factor in Rabada or Anderson in those sorts of things either. Um, there's so, yeah. there's really, but, but Lavashain's a very, very good one. Baba Azam is probably another really good one as well. Right. Very much, And we, so. haven't, yeah. and we haven't mentioned Ben Stokes. So Josh, I think it's a good idea. We're going to start doing some stuff like that. Um, but you know, we're going to have to think about it a bit more than just coming uh, yeah, be... off the top of our heads. <laughs> um, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of argument. I'm sure you'll agree with the exact teams that we draft. <laughs> of course. Does the following team have a chance at the World Cup? Conway, Young, Daryl Mitchell, uh Latham, Phillips, M- Michael Bracewell, Nisham Senter, Henry southie Bolt. I've I've included the Daryl Mitchell and the Michael Bracewell only because he has included those initials in. Is there another Mitchell? Mm-hmm. Isn't there only one Mitchell in New Zealand cricket? Now, at the moment, yes. But I mean, it just sound
2: like it does sound like a. A surname that's coming into vogue for the longest time, there were a lot of uh Mitchells, like first name Mitchells yep. playing cricket, especially for Australia. But now I would uh, love
1: a Mitch Mitchell. Mitch, Mitch Mitchell, Mitchell would be, be a very cricket name, I think. You know, maybe if I ever do a children's book, the ca- that player will be Mitch Mitchell. Um, Mitch Mitchell's a great name, yeah. Uh, okay, so let's have a look at this team as far as the World Cup goes. Uh, there's some interesting stuff here. Conway plays spin very well. Mitchell plays spin very well. Latham at number four is quite handy. Phillips likes to smash spin around. Uh, Then if you get to the bowlers, Bracewell and Santner, um, you know, have both had success in Asia of recent times. Santner's probably unlucky not to be playing for Chennai at the moment, but Mm. is just better, Um, although he's had a rough start to the season. Uh, And then you've got Henry Southie Bolt. Uh, There's a lot of all-round skill kind of in that team. Uh, uh you don't need Nisham or Bracewell to necessarily bowl their five or their 10 overs but you probably need some overs plus Glenn Phillips will bowl uh two or three overs occasionally when you need it mm-hmm. and uh, you know I suppose you could throw the ball to Mitchell although I don't think he bowl much in that side it's there and thereabouts that team isn't it it's not got an exceptional spinner is probably that that you know the main thing but uh there, I think there's a lot of players you can play spin quite well in that lineup. I can compare this uh, with uh, the last time there was a 50 over World Cup,
2: uh, Men's World Cup in the subcontinent, which is 2011. And the team looks pretty much similar to this in terms of the the makeup. So the last leg of Jacob Oram, Of course, Brendan McCullum was there. Daniel Vittori played in that uh, World Cup. I remember, of course, he did 2011. Saudi was definitely around. I think he took a big haul in Chennai against someone. Uh, Bolt was there. Uh, but just the makeup of the side looks similar, except I think Devin Conway, just the way he's batting in the IPL and just, just his growth. I, I mm. mentioned Manas Labushin in the last stanza. The reason was just uh, the uh, how rapidly they have grown as cricketers. Every time you see a Manas or a Devin Conway, they look like a better cricketer than they did even the previous day or the previous innings. And I think he's a he's a big plus for them at the top of the order. Uh, but yeah, I mean, on paper it looks really good. Uh, they have a chance to go go far in the tournament, like most New Zealand teams do. Uh, but can they win it? I mean, it also depends on what the other teams are doing. And I mean, the World Cups, especially fifty-over World Cups in this format, it goes on forever to start with. Uh, and also, you know, it's all about uh, what the other teams are doing, uh, mm. uh, which plays a big role in you know even new zealand making it to the 2019 final everybody feels bad for them that oh, they didn't win in the end but for the longest time they weren't like even in a good good enough position to go through other mm-hmm. results played a big role in them qualifying for the uh, for the semi-finals so i'm not if i'm not wrong and so i think that also plays a big role but yeah but it kind of reminds me of that 2011 uh, maybe it's not a bad idea to look up that squad at whenever we get time. The two thousand and eleven. I can tell one you one player players.
1: you've forgotten only because he got fined for sledging Fausti Plessy while he was the twelfth man, and that's Carl Mills. Uh, oh yes, of course, yeah. Who was also we- weird story? I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, how weird my life and career has been. One of the things I did so so South Africa so South Africa were about to um, fall apart in that game, and New Zealand was sledging them so much that. Uh, Mills, and there was someone else. There was like a thirteenth man as well who was sledging as well. Plus, fielders on the field were having a go at FAF, and, wow. and um, I think AB might have been out there as well at that point. And uh, I then, about three days later, got Ian O'Brien to recreate the twelfth man sledging, including um, uh, Sam Collins wearing a giant a lion suit that we called Hansi, uh, that we called Hansi the Lion. It's a very, I just like, you know, when you just remember little things, that, yeah. that whole incident, that's why Kyle Mills, that's why I'll never forget him because he was involved in that whole thing. Uh, I, I will say this at number six is Michael Bracewell, slightly different kind of athlete to Scott Styrus, but we'll uh, divert from there. Uh, Sachmo says if you could only pick a one from Gavaska or Kapildev, who do you choose for your side? I feel like I personally would have to do a huge deep dive into their overall careers but my first thought is it's Kapil Dev just because even if he can't bat at number 7 he's definitely going to strengthen your batting at number 8 and he was a fantastic bowler in the toughest bowling conditions for his kind um around Gavaskar was absolutely fantastic as well but it's just that if you've got a choice, you generally pick the all-rounder in that situation, um, unless the single-skilled player is Bradman.
2: Or Gavaskar. I mean, if you are picking a team uh, where the choices are Gavaskar or a couple there you're maybe talking about them at their peak. So you're talking late seventies through the eighties or early eighties uh, when both of both of their peaks kind of came together. I mean, Gavaskar, of, of course, is much older. It started in nineteen seventy-one as compared to Kapil sorry, later in the decade. But, I, I you know, I, I can see uh, Gavaskar being ahead of Kapil Dev in uh, some condition. I mean, if you say, if you are going to uh, play against the West Indies or England in 82-83, uh, and just what Gavaskar did for that Indian team, it's people always talk about the number of runs he scored, mm-hmm. but there's so much more to the impact that Gavaskar had on Indian cricket during the 70s and 80s. I mean... It kind of got overridden by Tendulkar and then, of course, Kohli in recent years. But it's if, if say uh, say Gav- the Gavaskar era was in the nineties, I think it would have been on par with uh, with Tendulkar. I mean, just the impact he's had. I mean, obviously, he's before my time in that sense. Uh, I was two years old in eighty seven when he played his last mm-hmm. game. But just uh, speaking to people in India and also in terms of uh, maybe I'm. I'm really going doing a deep dive into a very simple question here but uh just just you know india as a country was uh kind of figuring out its own identity mm-hmm. in the 70s it's not even 30 years old it's what it's 24 years old as a country when gavaskar makes his debut like post-independence and post many many years of not being independent and then gavaskar really gave them that massive identity like you know being the in- One of the first Indian cricketers to be part of a world eleven, I think Farouk Engineer and him were part of that in the early seventies, and so many other things. So, just for that, I might actually pick Gavaskar, and also he's he's a better storyteller than Kapil Dev, from what I've seen.
1: My thought is that part of the difference in the two of them is the background that they have and the way that they speak, right? And I Mm. do think that Gavaskar, that's part of his legend. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I mean that in a you know in the same way that. Shane Morn has a different kind of legacy than Anil Kumble has. And it's not just record, right? It's about personality and the way they play and everything else. But Kapil Dev took 200 wickets in India, a bowling seam, an average of 26, right? Uh, That over a long period of time, while averaging, I don't know what he averaged with a bat in India, but it was like 35 or 40 or or something ridiculous around that. They have managed to replace... Gavaskar, one way or another. Maybe not with another great opening batter, but certainly with other mm. incredible batters that have yeah. never had a team bowling all-rounder like Kapil Dev um, since, and they didn't have one beforehand. It's hard. It is hard. But I always, I, I think I lean towards the all-rounder. In Even if, I think Gavaskar was a better cricketer, if that makes sense. Yeah. But if I only had to pick one for my team, I just think that Kapil Dev gives you more variety in what oh, you yeah. can do. And you're not losing cool. anything with him uh, you know, he and no, no, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with that. I think he it does say choose the side. He Sachmo may have meant ODI cricket. We may have overthought this a lot. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or T20 cricket. Who knows? <laughs> I did actually look up um, Gavaskar. Someone got really upset with me recently when I said that he was a better than average ODI um, player. And, and when you look up his record, he really was, and, but was, everyone yeah. all, only goes on at the 30, not out of 120 balls or whatever, which don't get That's me wrong, true. was a monumentally stupid thing to have happen. Yeah. But I do think the 30, not out of 120 balls is a little bit like Michael Clark's T20 international record where mm. you, at a certain point you kind of have to go, was he taking it seriously? I still think Clark shouldn't be having a go at destroying cricketers so for not being attacking enough in T20 cricket, but that's a separate <laughs> argument.
0: NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto
1: renews. Manon says, Archer still shows glimpses of his old threatening self, but doesn't seem to be as consistent anymore. Can we expect him to be as good as before or even close? I, I think he's looked fine. I, I, he's still uh-huh. working his way back in. We saw yep. Bufi uh struggle in an IPL season when he was coming back from uh, injury. Deepak Chahar has, uh, I think he went for runs again today, um, but I thought he bowled really well in the first three overs, but got hammered in mm-hmm. that last yeah. over. He he looks like, to me, a bowler who's trying to work his way back. In fact, I'm not even sure he was fully fit uh, when he played today. And his figures oh. don't look that good. But if you look at his overall career figures, we know he's very good. You remember when bowlers aren't 100% and we know the whole thing, we, we won't re-litigate the Will McPherson, Joffra Archer moment. But clearly, <laughs> Joffra is not fully fit at the moment and... Um, I think that's a big issue with bowlers.
2: And you spoke of Bhuvneshwar Kumar and Deepak Chahar, who played overall a lot more cricket than Jofra Archer has in his career. Yeah. I mean, you break down Jofra Archer, the bowler. How much cricket has he actually played? Not much, if you think about it, right? Like this. Well, just... You say
1: that he did bowl a thousand overs in New Zealand once, but continue... <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, that's true. I mean, that I think he made up for not playing enough cricket in that one series. You're right. <laughs> but, but you know, he's coming back from injury. He's come back from injury a few times. But he's still a pretty inexperienced cricketer in that sense. I mean, when you compare him with a Abubanesh Kumar or even Adipak Chahar, who's taking all those wickets back. in And I was still covering Ranji Trophy cricket in 2019. 10. So, I think um, that plays a big role in it. And, like, yeah, you're right. I've seen a couple of Jofra Archer spells after his uh, comeback from injury in the last week or so. And he's looked quick. Uh, yes, the radar is. Uh, uh, he struggled with the radar a little bit, but it, that is T20 cricket as well, right? Like when you're when you're trying to feel yourself back into rhythm while trying to bowl defensively or aggressively, depending on what the team wants and where the where the team is placed in the IPL standings and where the match situation is, and there are so many other factors that go into it. But you're doing that while trying to get yourself going, getting into rhythm. And I'm not saying he's thinking Ashes at the moment, but I'm sure somewhere in in his thought process he's thinking Ashes as well, right? Like he's running into bowl with a white ball in his hand, wearing like the shiny blue and gold of Mumbai Indians. But maybe when he walks back to final like he's like, okay, okay, my body felt a certain way. Will it be good enough to bowl 30 overs? Or like you know, if he plays, obviously England will make him bowl 50 overs again. If Test matches during this Ashes are going to last that long. Um, yeah. Like I'm sure those thoughts are going through his head, and it'll take him a while. And like Ravi Shastri keeps saying on commentary, just let him play some more cricket, like you know. And if that's that's the most important thing, like with him, I think game time will be important. And we'll see maybe in the next. Uh, did he play last night? I, I, I'm just, oh yeah, he did. He went for a lot of runs. That's right. Yeah, I just saw the scorecard
1: when I woke up this morning. So I think if you're uh, uh, looking for sign that he has a problem, I don't think the accuracy is part of it because. I think we ha- I have seen him bowl at times when he struggles with accuracy. It's not very often, but sometimes when he doesn't find a good rhythm, he can yeah. struggle a little bit with accuracy. If you're really looking for signs, he's not any good anymore. It's the zip off the pitch, the bounce yeah, he gets yeah, off the yeah. pitch, and just his he's overall dead. pace. And yeah. I don't think those are a massive concern for him at the moment. If he came back and he was bowling at 85 miles an hour, or <laughs> you know, true. he wasn't getting that weird steepling bounce that he gets from his action that would be a far bigger problem for me um from that point of view he's look. Uh, no, all fast bowlers eventually degrade when it comes to pace right so who's who show well show back to was on um steroids at one stage was he um brett lee is he brett lee one of the few guys that didn't lose much pace all the way through his career um uh, i Cummins mean Mick johnson went. Like
2: off and then came back and was really quick. I mean, or he, Sean Tate never lost lost pace. I mean, to a, he never found well, his radar. But he, I would argue I that know. Sean
1: Tate was probably quicker when he was before we ever saw him in front yeah, of a radar. True. So yeah, but you're right. Like you know what I mean? There are a lot of yeah. You know, there, there's more Sean Pollocks in the world and uh, than mm-hmm. there are you know uh, Brett Lees. It, it, you know, yeah. it, generally it's it's hard and it hurts your body and you do that. And so what what happens is bowlers. They, they keep a, enough pace, but they actually gain all the experience of playing at that level and they pick up other tricks and everything else. Um, and I think we've already seen with that spell that he bowled in leads that he has the ability to do that, Jofra. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't worry about him too much at the moment. If he's still spraying him down late side in two years uh, and he's lost yeah. the yard, then that's different.
2: With pace, I also compare it with uh, driving, drinking, and bowling fast for me sort of are are the same in terms of like, you know, when you start drinking or you start driving, you're going full throttle, right? I mean, that's what I did. Like when you learn to drive as a teenager, you just want to drive Are you drinking fast. and driving in this analogy? Or <laughs> no, just one or the other? Back then it was, well, uh, back when I was, dri- I learned to drive in Bombay, drinking and driving wasn't, uh, frowned upon as it should have been and it is now <laughs> so <laughs> is all i'll say so you i mean and and with drinking as well right you just go full throttle you're like downing bottles of beer and downing bottles of every other spirit that you can get your hands on i'm not generalizing that's what i did but then you reach a point in life uh where you can do that if you really want to but you also kind of kind of find your cruise mode whether it's with mm-hmm. driving or with drinking and similarly, I mean, I couldn't bowl at 150 kph, unfortunately, but I'm, you've seen it with so many fast bowlers. like They start off bowling that pace and those who are able to consistently bowl quick throughout their career, maybe not all, average 150 all the time, have that ability to really pick it up a notch when they want mm-hmm. to. But also then kind of depending on what the team needs and where the game is. Uh, kind of manage their pace and their workload and their body within themselves, not in terms of being managed by someone else. So I think that plays a big role in it as well. So there you go. Drinking, driving, and bowling fast. They're all the same.
1: Put that on social media. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I mean, Nathan says, if an LBW is overturned, shouldn't it be called a dead ball? uh I think he means, shouldn't it not be called a dead ball? Yeah after that point. Alternatively, shouldn't umpires delay their calls of LBW, uh, of leg before wicket leg by runs, etc. Like referees in soccer waiting for the offside calls until the play is complete. So it's good that we have you as an umpire here. Mm. So this is only... it's. Uh, I, I've heard people talk about these laws before, but this would actually be playing conditions because it only comes about yeah. from uh, T, uh, I was going to say T20, but uh, from uh, DRS games. Essentially, what we have at the moment is the reason that it doesn't work like this in the laws is because once you are out LBW, um, that means automatically the ball is dead. And that's how cricket has to work outside of a DRS universe. What this question is talking about, and I've heard this asked before, is mm. in, in a situation where it's the last ball of the game and you need uh, four runs to win, and Jofra Archer has come in and bowled a Yorker, uh, it's slanting down the leg side, but the umpire gives it out flicks the pad goes for four. That four does not count because the LBW was given first. And what people are now saying is that seems like you know that seems like the wrong answer to the question of shouldn't we let the play run out first before we act or play out i should say yeah uh, run out means something different in cricket barrel i'll explain that to you later but um shouldn't we let the play uh the play go ahead first mm. and then make a decision on the lbw although it would be really weird if in some situations an is waiting 40 seconds uh to make a decision on the lbw like how many times would they second and third guess themselves by that but that's a separate argument yeah. what do you think of this
2: Uh it's it's tricky right but i'm, I'm going to stick my neck out and say what around seven or eight percent of all competitive cricket matches played around the world have drs uh, so the laws of the game still don't mention drs right the laws of cricket still uh deal with cricket as being a sport without technology, uh, especially from an umpiring perspective, having a role. And the laws say that the moment a, a dismissal happens, like there are many ways that the ball can be dead. But the the most obvious and glaring one is like, if someone's given out, that's it. The ball is dead at that moment. But what happens with DRS is, in a way, you're reviewing the decision, right? So the umpire has made a decision at that point and said, not out. But then it's, it's the chronology of what happens thereafter, right? Like, you know, so the ball has hit the pad before it's gone to the boundary, to use your analogy of the last ball. But we're debating not what happened after that, but the decision itself, mm. right? And I think that's it, it, it makes it complicated. I don't know whether the laws of the game going forward at the same at some point, the MCC will have to kind of you know, include an addendum or something. Uh, uh, well, I,
1: see, I don't think the MCC will get involved in this. I think this will be a playing true. condition. I I, re- I could be wrong. I, c- I could be wrong. Yeah. But I think it'll be yeah, a playing I mean, condition. Of course. And as we all know, playing condition supersedes the loss of the game. So, you know, take that MCC in a way. <laughs> so I'm just true I, with any sport. I, yeah, exactly. I don't know. I w- want to almost run this in a simulator a few times to see if there's unexpected consequences from this. But we don't want, I mean, it, it wouldn't work in cricket if we had a live ball all the time, like baseball has, for instance. Yeah. Oh, no. And so your yeah, dead ball e- exists for a reason and makes sense. Yeah. Um, And so, from that perspective, if you've ever played indoor cricket, and you'll know that. Uh, people are stealing runs in between balls and all sorts of things because that is a live ball game. Um, So, yeah, I I, want to run it almost through a simulator or maybe see it played out, this particular regulation. But I do understand the general principle um, of that and why it is the case. Um, And it it feels like common sense, but I feel like I'm almost missing something obvious that would mean that it shouldn't work. But I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Uh,
2: Yeah, I think I've given a better answer, so yes.
1: You've, you definitely gave an answer. Oh, okay. Which is better than yours. It was an answer. I
2: even pulled up the laws of the game. Like, yeah, by the way, which had nothing more... to
1: do with it here because there's playing conditions. You're literally reading the wrong thing. Where's the ICC playing conditions, which I have tattooed on my forearm. Yeah, I don't need playing conditions. I still stick. <laughs> I'm a stickler to the laws. I Keep your playing them. conditions for yourself update them. I'm around to the back of my arm now. Ian says, tomorrow at New Road, Worcestershire will have Ali playing against the Sussex side with Steve Smith and Chiteshwar Pajara in the second division of a county championship. Can you think of any other sports where top international stars would be playing in run-of-the-mill games outside the top tier? So I've got a funny story about this. So there was a book called, um, oh God, I've got to remember that. Whatever you do, it has to work. That's the name of the book. It's by Ben Lindbergh and Sam Miller. And they were two, like, they they ran a baseball podcast and they were like analytics guys and they were given this team to run. And it was like the lowest level of California baseball um, there was. Right. And they went in with all their analytics stuff and, and it's, it's a really clever book and, and really funny. And they're both really talented guys. When I got the job at uh, St. Lucia, I contacted them and said, look, I'm doing a similar thing. I just wanted to know I've read your book, but can you give me some tips on what to do and what mm-hmm. not to do? And they were really, really helpful. And then they were like, oh, you know, so what's what's the situation? Uh, you know, is this like a major league or whatever? I said, well, it's, Ca- it's Caribbean Premier League, so it's like the third or fourth biggest league in the world. Um, but I said, but, you know, it's Kyron Pollard and David Warner and blah, blah, and and like, and I've never worked before. And then I was telling them all the different things, and they were like, wait, what? The best players in the world are playing in this random league? that You know, and remember... I hadn't even told these guys just before that, all those same players had played in Canada in the global T20. That's right? true. Right?
0: Yeah. right.
1: You know, Andre Russell played in the Hong Kong blitz mm. cricket does have like in a way that very few other sports do. It does have the very best players in the world playing in some of the most bizarre situations. I mean, is golf. Sometimes you do see some of the major golf players uh, at a random tournament in the middle of nowhere tennis. In fact, my, bizarre story, but my, my kids play at a tennis club and that tennis club used to be one of the, um, it's just like a suburban tennis club. But when I, I looked up one day, they had like, uh, all the people who'd won their tournament. And like the first name I see is Jimmy Connors. Right. Oh, really? And then it's like Ivan Lendl, Navratilova, oh. Pam Shriver, uh, John McEnroe, Pat Cash, Fred Stolle, John Newcomb. And I was like, wait a minute, this is a suburb, And so I do think these things have happened more, maybe in the past, uh-huh. But you would say, you know, it's probably fairly unlikely that you're going to be playing, you know, uh, basketball in Serbia, and you know, and the Joker turns up to play some basketball, or you know, or the you know, lo- uh, you know Messi is suddenly uh, playing in your yeah. local league, right? It's that's probably less likely. It does seem to happen more in cricket,
2: also because there are more leagues as compared to players, yeah. in a sense, right? Like, I mean, it's such a small sport when you think of really top level talent in terms of money as well. I mean, I read that report recently about how. Uh, the IPL players pay compares to uh you know the pay in other major leagues, and, and that's a telling stat. When it comes to a question like this, mm. it still tells you that cricket's still getting used to. Even though we think that it's uh, a this moneyed sport and players are making a lot of money, it still like pales in comparison to what the soccer soccer players in a, around Europe or everywhere else uh, and the American uh, sports sports people earn compared to you know. Broadcast rights and everything else. So I think cricket's still kind of getting in touch with that. And there, are, there aren't there are enough of these players, especially at that T20 level going around. So I think that's changing as well. I mean, you're right. For the longest time, you'd see Chris Gale playing in a league in Zimbabwe mm. when, you know, when there weren't so many leagues around. I'm talking, what, 10 years ago? Uh, or, uh, you know, especially a lot of these West Indian players, whichever. Oh, okay. I'll give. I think I wrote about this as well. So I remember being in a. In a car with Bravo and Gale in Pune in 2018. This is when I, for a, a, a couple of weeks, I played music promoter. I don't know whether I've told you the story where uh, Samit so Omari Banks, who's a really good friend of mine, uh, in 2017. Interview him, we've become good friends. And you know, Bharat Bing Bharat says, Oh, uh, he was about to release his single. He's like, Oh, next year you should do it in India during the IPL. And I say things like that. And then I forgot about it. So next. Fe- Next year comes around, February or so, he messages me and he says, Oh, this is my manager. So, what are we doing? Like, how are you going to set it up? I'm like, oh so okay, yeah, cool. Don't worry. So I randomly get in touch with the PR agency in Mumbai, uh, where like who I didn't know. I just like Google PR agency and I just pick the best one. I call them, I say, This is what I'm doing. Like I'm a journalist, but like, yeah. Uh, and somehow they were like, Yeah, cool. We've never done something like this before, we'll do it. So we fly Omari Banks to India, like we. <laughs> and I and you, I, I organized two shows, one in Pune and in, one in Bombay. So the Pune one was the first one and we did it in a way. So like I should be a music promoter, right? I did it in a way where uh, I think Chris Gayle was playing for Punjab and Bravo was still playing for Chennai. So Punjab and Chennai were playing a game in Pune. So uh, I, I told Omari, you get in touch with them and tell ask them to come. I'll manage everything else. So eventually on the day of the show, I had, it was my responsibility to go get Chris Gale and Dwayne Bravo from their hotel and the conversation and drop them back. But the conversation that I heard between them was quite fascinating. Jared, it was all about, so, and I realized that day was Bravo was the one with the worldly knowledge. I mean, Universe boss might be Chris Gale. But Bravo is the one who knows everything about every everyone that runs leagues uh, around the world. And and everyone in Bollywood. I mean, he was talking about Salman Khan's brother or brother-in-law owning a team or owning a stake in a, in, a, in a club in Canada. And this is just before the Canada League happened for the first time. Because I remember it vividly. Bravo telling Gale who owns the teams and how much money they'll make by playing there. And then uh, him talking about some league in the Emirates them talking about T10 and I was just there driving and listening to them and I was like wow it's not they're not some uh, like you know random people who just to show up they get a call from someone and they say okay I'll come and play in your league they know everything about everyone that's and it's running the league and what they'll make out of it and what it could mean and yeah and and, you know and they, they were playing in Canada a few months later and the shows by the way were a huge success Omari Banks released this uh uh, new single which was about his beautiful island of Anguilla, and then the Bombay show had I think Darren Sammy was a big, uh, noteworthy, uh, you know, chief of guests or whatever you want to call him. But yeah,
1: there you go. So I was music promoter for two weeks. I mean, who would have <laughs> thought that Ian's question would end there? Uh, <laughs> but no, you're right when it comes to West Indian guys, they, uh, I remember when when I got the job with St. Lucia, in fact, uh, Karen Pollard like like did a huge amount of research on me. Right. right? Like beforehand. Like they I, I I remember going to a World Cup game and there was like a local journalist, it must have been 2019, and she like, you know, repeated like a a um one of those cliche comments about West Indian people that mm. you hear so much. <laughs> um and I was just like this guy out here, and I went through all, all the business connections here, and I just picked a bunch of players out on the field. I said, like, you have no idea how driven mm-hmm. these guys are. It's it's yeah, a whole different exactly. world. But still, really weird that they played in Canada and Hong Kong.
2: Yeah, I, uh, but just on Ian's question, I am looking forward to seeing uh, Steve Smith play under Pujara's captaincy from what I hear. Pujara's still captain, isn't he? Um, so it'll be, I think he is. I think he still is. Okay. Okay. Uh, It'll be it'll be a good uh, partnership to uh, observe. I think more than uh, just uh, the amount of runs they score because mm. uh, they'll both be in their own like you know their own shells. They like, may not notice
1: the, the other ones, ones at the other end.
2: That's true. Yeah, and that's a very good point. Like yeah, uh, they might like get to a hundred runs partnership and suddenly shake hands and then Steve Smith will be like, oh, I'm batting with you. Yeah, oh, and it'll be similar <laughs> from Cheteshwar Pujara. It'll be a very quiet partnership.
1: Uh, bloody bugger says uh jared you have mentioned that indian uh, pitches today spin far more and more difficult than 10 15 years ago but how did today's pitches compare to what the famous spin quartet bowled on bishop Beatty's pace may have been pedestrian today but the pitches um today spin more than back in his day so yeah the, the pitches conventionally indian pitches have always been very very flat So if you go through the records, I think Australia is the only place that, for a long period of time. I think maybe the UAE might be the other one, but um, those are the three places in Test cricket where the most runs have come from. Some of that is also the batters. The reason that they all have good batters is also because they come from places with very flat pitches. So those things do sort of uh, feed into each other. So Bishop Beatty certainly would have been playing on uh, pitches that would. It's not that they would never have spun, and they certainly the the old-fashioned subcontinental wickets. You, you know, it's what five hundred plays four seventy, and then uh, you know one hundred and fifty plays eighty. Right, like there was a lot of that sort of stuff happening as well. So the pitches did fall apart, but. Certainly, throughout the first innings, there was a lot of runs to be made on those surfaces uh, for a long time. If you, uh, I, I, one day, I'm going to go back and do a really deep dive into Anil Kumble's career, but I wonder mm-hmm. if a bowler has ever bowled as often uh, on pitches where the you know the average um, was so high as it was in the games that he played. Um, you know, so it's a really interesting one to have a look at the mm. those records. So they're certainly a lot different than today, oh, and most wickets are different than today, which should be said. So. Oh
2: dear they are. And I think uh, more than how much they turn, it's, uh, I think, a question of how quickly they start turning and how quickly the pitches start to deteriorate. And, and I, I just, like, while while you're talking about uh, I know, while just answering that question, I just pulled up some numbers for Bishan Singh Behrie. And I think of the 14-5 wicket, not I think, it's in front of me, of the 14-5 wicket holes that bishan Behrie did take in test cricket, only three of those um, or only four of those he got them un- uh, within 25 overs or bowling 25 overs and of which uh funnily enough he took five for 55 of uh 13.7 overs so the eight ball overs in australia uh, at the gabba so this was in 1977 but so only on three occasions ha- did he manage to take five wickets uh within 25 overs invariably he was bowling 30 40 50 even 60 overs to mm. get those five wickets and i mean even when you speak to them or hear um, the likes of Beatty and spinners from that generation, Indian spinners from that generation, talk about taking wickets. They always talk about earning your wickets or, uh, you know, uh, kind of being hit for a couple of sixes, that old analogy, and then getting the batter out of the third ball. You need to uh, kind of pay to get your wickets in that sense. Uh, so, and um, they were doing that because the pitches made sure that they had to do that. Mm. Uh, and, and test cricket was played at a different pace as well. So I think that plays a big role in it. Uh, So I think what it's not to say that you need to automatically undermine what Jadeja and Ashwin and Aksar Patel do. It's just different skill set. I mean, you need to, uh, and you always hear about it, right? Like bowling on a pitch like uh, what we had in in Indore, for example. It it comes with its challenges. It's not like as a spinner, you just rock up and you're going to take a lot of wickets. And which is why I thought the five-wicket haul that Ashwin got in Ahmedabad was so important not just for him and his career, but to kind of put things into perspective that it's mm-hmm. not that a Jadeja or an Ashwin does not have the skills to take wickets on a flat pitch or a pitch which doesn't offer them as much as some other pitches. Do I remember Jadeja taking six or seven in that test in Chennai in 2016, uh, where India beat England, the match that England where England make what 400 in the first innings and still lose on on the final day. So. It's just that the skill levels have changed. The game has changed. But I think in terms of what the pitchers were doing, it's just that they start deteriorating on an average much quicker or much sooner than what was happening. First over. First over at times, as we've seen,
1: like a keeper's getting hit on the head. Exactly. And they are bowling quicker. And and so that actually puts a lot more pressure on the batters. Batters just can't use their feet the way that they used to. And DRS has completely changed it. I would say that we talked about this with uh, Richard Hadley the other day and versus Glenn McGraw, which was another question we got asked. Yep. There is, there's, there's absolutely no doubt that there is a modern way of bowling, that some of the older players um, had more varied ways of getting you out because they had to, yeah. right? Because of the kinds of things they did. Most modern spinners now, generally just bowled the stumps, right? Yeah. And they're not trying to toss it up and get it above your eye line or anything like that. They're not trying to get you stumped. They're literally just trying to get you bowled in LBW over and over again, and if not inside edge or outside edge um, sort of thing. So they're very different to – if you watch – I mean, Bishop Beatty, even when he got an edge, he was so slow that they didn't always carry, right? The slip had to be so close as well. So yeah. it is fundamentally changed. All right, we're going to take a short break here. Uh, And then after the break, we will come back with a couple more Patreon questions, and then we'll have a look at the room. Welcome back to Wagon Wheel with Jared Kimber and Barrett Sundarayson. Thomas says, I've just finished expected goals about the rise of advanced metrics in football. Is matchups the closest cricket has come to a mainstream data-driven stat? Is there anything lurking below the surface used by teams at the moment? I mean, (laughs) matchups, it depends on what you mean by matchups, because they're one of the most overrated sort of terms in cricket because a real matchup means one bowler against one batter. And we usually yeah. don't have enough data to actually uh be able to work that out. Um but if you're talking about I mean, Ch- uh, Chennai is a masterclass in the way that again, uh that Dhoni used his matchups today when uh Chennai got on top against um super giants in that washed out game. Uh that's the one that I think was the most obvious that actually goes back probably a long way. And I think also, uh, you know, Krishna Tunga was doing that sort of stuff for um, uh, the cricket Australian team probably back into the early 2000s as well. So it probably has the longest history. I would say that maybe the mo- more important one is things like nearest neighbor analysis. That uh, is what um, uh, Crickviz and uh, the England team use. And um, I think the Indian team started to get into that stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So you can tell if there's a... A kind of delivery that bothers someone and it might be that kind of bowling where it's released from or the way that they spin it or or whatever else or it might be the exact line and length and everything else i think those are the the biggest ones that i've heard of at the moment uh and i think that's probably a far more matchups are handy but i think that's probably yeah. taking it to the next level
2: oh i think cricket has a long way to go before uh you know it kind of fulfills its potential as uh, uh in terms of using data and what what you get out of it but it's also a it's a unique sport right like you spoke about dead balls and it is a stop start sport where often um, what you can gauge or you can kind of calculate or put a number on how many or the types of balls a bowler bowls, or uh, you know in terms of um, where he tries to attack a left-hander or a right-hander or, a, or even a particular batter but then there's the reaction bit of it, like you can't gauge, right? Like, uh, I mean, it happens with other sport as well, I'm sure. Players have bad days and good days, but there are also, you know, days where a a bowler might have such such clarity of thought where even if he's been hit for a couple of boundaries, he still thinks he's going to hit the Yorker, whatever ball he generally bowls or whatever he backs himself to, or he might change plans. I mean, often you hear about captains and bowling lineups having plans for a particular batter or for a particular over and then on the go you you change right i mean you're running into bowl for example with this field is set in a certain way uh, you're thinking yorker because you know for all the matchups and all the data i've said this particular Kyron pole out of is going to do this but what if he suddenly steps out of his crease then mm-hmm. what do you do you have to adapt at that point you can't still stick to bowling what you were trying to bowl if you it was a yorker he might pick you know, it he, will he, end up as a full toss. So, do you change your line? Do you like as a bowler, you have to con- constantly think on your feet? So, I think uh, that I don't think you. Uh The human science has evolved to to an extent where you can start recording that. Maybe it has. Maybe Jared Kimber is sitting right now and recording my or getting a number or stat going on uh, what I'm thinking and my emotions and how I react to his tough questions. But uh, I'm sure it's happening, but it it has a long way. I've I've spent a lot of time with uh, Prasanna Agoram, who worked for years with South Africa, is a really, really good friend of mine. Um, And his kind of data analysis is very different to what you get from Crickwits. This is still. Traditional in some sense, where it, this, he's got so much content of like literally, it's amazing the video content these guys have, right? Of mm. a, And it's not just of like a Virat Kohli or a Cheteshwar Puja or a David Warner. I'm talking someone who's played, uh, I remember what, him showing me clips of Ishan Kishin from 2017, right? When he'd only played domestic cricket. But he had like, so he had like clips of just, okay, these are all of Ishan Kishan's sixes in the last two years. Yeah from under-19 cricket. And I'm sure you've done that same thing, Jared, uh, when you worked with teams as well. So that's still more traditional form of data analysis, right? You get a lot of video content out there and then you break it down. I think uh, uh, Dean Hills does that a lot with the current Australian team. He's been doing that for years. Uh, so it, And also then it depends on uh, the team dynamics and who the coach is, how much the coach believes in uh, stat-driven uh, data mm. And I'm sure you've worked with so many different courses, Jared. you would have found some resistance from some. I mean, just a languor. I no, mean-
1: they all loved everything I did and <laughs> listened to everything at all times. You did,
2: I'm sure
1: you just yeah. walked in the room and Look, you said- I think I, I think there's a couple of things to be said here. One is that we it in some ways, it's very much like baseball. There's so much to analyze and it's very easy to analyze in a way that football and basketball and um you know rugby yeah. are a little bit harder at times, right? Because you, here's a moment and we record that moment and this guy does this and this guy does exactly. this, right? But um, there's other, uh, baseball doesn't have a pitch, right? And so, you know, you're bowling to Sirius Reina. everyone knows what the plan is going to be to Sirius Reina And then that pitch doesn't b- bounce above waist high.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Right. And, and so, you know, that has, that is always an element. The other thing I would say is that matchups aren't as simple. One of the things that Doney is very good at when it comes to matchups is that, he, he plays the matchups a lot, but he's also very, very aware of what happens in the background. As in, yeah. I remember, I'm trying to think of the, uh, well, l- let's say Rainer comes in and it's the eighth over and you've got uh, a genuine fast bowler in your team, but he's already bowled two overs and you're yeah. going to need him at the death. A lot of teams will just bowl two overs yeah. at Rainer and hope that they they get him out with that short ball, right? That then changes your whole dynamic. And in some ways, that was, I think that was a big misunderstanding of matchups to begin with. They don't solve all problems. And they no. also, you know, they actually bring other things. And sometimes by sending a player up the order who no one expects, um, and then you have to use your fast bowler or your spinner out of, out of time or whatever that may be, actually is part of the plan and you want the other team to react to it. So it's very, very interesting, but we are getting very good at mapping cricket balls and we're getting very good at understanding, you know, him and is incredible. If you don't follow him on uh, what's his uh, HGL, whatever his um, Twitter handle is, I should know uh, off the top of my head, but you know, we're getting very good at mapping what cricket balls do and understanding Mm. what they do a lot more than you know, things like some bowlers, uh, Uh, you know, don't drop the ball as much as other bowlers, um, you know, you you watch Patharana and his, you know, UFO release. Uh, He got um, Nicholas Puran out today with definitely a ball that any other bowler would have, would have been a half folly. And it was just that little bit fuller because he doesn't get the same kind of dip that other people get because he sort of undercuts the ball. Yeah. Anyway, all those sorts of things are what we are learning. And so we know a lot more about why Akshar Patel is, is good. Uh, we know a lot more about uh, how slower balls work, right? Mm. So those, I think those the actual path of the ball stuff might actually be the answer to your question, Thomas. Because we can now. I, I saw someone, someone I really respect recently say Harshal Patel he's just a bits and pieces player. I don't even understand how he gets wickets, and I was like, well, that's because he gets mad drop on his slow ball. Yeah, really? Right. Oh. You know, and he also I mean, get. said that. Yeah, but but that's the thing because he is a medium, well, fast medium bowler, right? And he's not. Yeah. Massively skillful, and it's the same with the Ashdeep video I did last week, right? Sometimes, and, and Scott Boland, you can put in there. Um, uh, Potts is another one. You look yeah. at some of these bowlers, and you're like, "Well, right? I understand Kyle Jamison and Mornay Morkel, right? And okay. I understand Malcolm Marshall. Why is Ashdeep so good? And then when you, mm-hmm. but you break it down step by step, we can now do that really, really easily yeah. with, um, with you know, artificial intelligence and and AI and all, well, that's the same thing, I believe. Anyway that's my point i think so i think the path of the ball and what the ball actually does is something that we will learn very soon and obviously the other thing is going to be you know the bat sensors and everything else which we're already starting to use just a little bit as well
2: yeah but you you're right what neutralizes everything in cricket is the pitch because that's one thing we will never know enough about i guess or not yet how the pitch is going to react? Like you're right. I mean the the example you used of the short ball to Suresh Rana, Yeah. What if it because any short ball which is at that level, he was very good at hitting yeah. away. So, yeah. So that yeah that's going to always happen. That's going to be all oh, right.
1: You can can't out, wait ask for this next question.
2: <laughs> no, no, please. You're the you're the question master.
1: Uh, Kushal says, uh, and he, he's hosted some of the well co-hosted with me some of the episodes. So in a local match, and I don't, I don't I'm not I'm going to say Chembo, Chembo's right, yeah. Uh but uh in in a, in a local match between Gatkoppa and Chembo, which team would you support? Uh
2: yeah, I mean confession, I was born in Ghatkopur, so I've always taken a lot of pride from being the from the Republic of Ghatkopa to the extent the number of times I've mentioned that, like on, on radio in Australia Times early on, people would say, Ah oh, mate, so you're from India, right? I'm like, no, 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 I'm from the Republic of Ghatkopar. They go, oh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I, that's near India. I'm like, yeah, technically, but yeah, I'm not from... <laughs> so, I
1: used, to, I, used to say I was from the Democratic Republic of Victoria, so I get the bit.
2: You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I was born in Ghatkopar. So Ghatkopar and Chembur are pretty pretty much uh, neighboring suburbs. Uh, so it's literally just one flyover that divides the... There's the ghatkopar Chembur divide. The flyover, the Chembur flyover divides it. So... I was, was born in Katkoper. Spent my first two years in Katkoper. I went to school in Katkoper, but my house that I grew up in and my mother still owns, where I slept when I went to Bombay, now, uh, is in that it's in that undefined zone between Katkoper and Chembur. So even though Ooh. my boss's postal ID was Chembur, I always like back Katkoper and everything. And Katkoper actually uh, has uh, also can lay claim to have. Chaminda Vaz, having played for them at one point, speaking of big players playing in small leagues, yeah. <laughs> there is this, uh, long after he'd retired, he played for a team called Ghatkopar Jets. But yeah, so my loyalties have always kind of rested more with Ghatkopar. because I love that I you
1: really... lived in the demilitarized zone of these places. Uh, uh, okay, so Chaminda Vaz, uh, who's better at cricket? Wh- which... Which uh, which region? I think uh, I, I think would definitely be better at uh, gully
2: cricket. I played a lot of gully cricket in Ghatkopar, though. Ch- though Ghat didn't have a proper cricket gymkhana, Chembur did. So the first gymkhana I played for was uh, Chembur gymkhana because my brother played for Chembur gymkhana as well. And my first coach was Vinod Kamli's brother, with the other Kamli, who I think is older brother. So he would he would he had tried his hand at coaching. I don't know what happened to him after that, but so he was my first coach, and uh, I don't think Chembur Gymkhana back in the day produced any international cricketers, but they did have something which no other club in Bombay or I don't know, maybe India had, which is uh, a video recording of matches. I'm talking 91, 92 wow. Jared. Like, so uh, if you played like for the senior Chembur Gymkhana team, regardless of what age level you're playing at, uh, you would have like, you could watch yourself play cricket. I mean, imagine that for a kid back in the early 90s. Mm. I mean, it's so commonplace now. So it was quite special. So I had... Yeah,
1: yeah, I had all the older people listening to this, uh, their mind has been blown. And all the young people are like, yeah, yeah, we, no, we, we exactly live stream our yeah. games, mate. What you exactly.
2: Yeah. So we have commentary for our games. Yeah. But yeah, so I did play for Chembur. I've uh, never played for Ghat Koper, but my loyalties will always stay. You know how it is. You're born in a place you kind of stick to Ghat Koper. So I will support the Ghat Koper jets over Chembur, whatever their team is called.
1: Uh Barrett's heart is in Gut I think is what he's saying. Sachmo says if Peak Joel Garner played T20, would he just bowl Yorkers and would they be as effective as 1979 or a batties now a batties? Bat is now savvy enough to score <laughs> off them. I recall David Bairstow scoring off him in Sunday League. Yeah, he there's no way he'd be able to bowl Yorkers. He would ev- evolve and develop and everything else. But there's I've written about this so many times and it's so frustrating when people like go, no, they no, should just bowl Yorkers. So essentially there's a bunch of things that change. Yeah. The first thing is that Lance Cluesen have found a way to hit them for boundaries. Mm. And once people worked out how to hit them for boundaries, that lessened their impact. And a lot of that is about strength and how hard you're trying to hit them. The second thing is that Asian bats took over. In the old days, English bats were the most popular. Asian bats have a lower middle because the ball is often lower to the ground. And that meant that it was easier to play, say, the helicopter shot. And some, you know, and 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 all those other shots. A helicopter shot is a shot aimed at um, destroying yorkers. The other thing is, back in the old days, uh, I, Muhammad Issam was telling me about this recently. That Richard Hadley said one of the things that bowling to Javed Miandad was so difficult is Javed Miandad would move in his crease all the time, back forward, back forward. You mm. never knew if you were hitting the right length. That wasn't. It was. It happened. But it wasn't yeah. common and all batters didn't do it. And they certainly didn't do it the way you do now, where you have Andre Russell or Hardik Pandya standing almost behind the stumps. And then you have someone else two meters down the wicket. You didn't have yeah. that kind of thing. All of those things have happened. And the other thing is that the difference is if you, if you watch cricket in the early 2000s, commentators would say, I did, even up until 10 years ago, really commentators would say a low full toss is as good as a Yorker. Yeah. We now know a low full toss is nowhere near as good as a Yorker. It was, before all these other things and the last thing that changed is the scoop right you know having the scoops available so i think if you look at, uh, this isn't a perfect like for like, but one of the last bowlers to fully embrace slow balls um as a t20 death specialist is probably jason holder a couple mm. of years ago he was just bowling pace on all the time using his height using the yorkers and occasionally the short balls and being very clever even eventually, he had to go to slower balls because there's just nothing else you could do. At a certain point, you have to do them. So Joel Garner would have bowled slower balls, and he would have you know, tried wide Yorkers more often. He certainly would have used bouncers uh, far more than he ever had to in his day.
2: I mean, you spoke speak of Jason Holder now. Uh, I will take you back 20 years and talk of another tall West Indian fast bowler who had to to learn the slow ball towards the end of his career was Courtney Walsh. And I was Mm -hmm. doing some random research recently. And the guy who apparently convinced him to do that was Bob Cotton, who coached him at Gloucestershire, I guess, or uh, in one of, I think, yeah, it must have been Gloucestershire. Didn't Courtney Walsh bowl like some 20,000 overs for that? So uh, he convinced him to start bowling the slow ball because after a point towards the late nineties and the early two thousands, when Courtney Walsh was finishing up, a lot of batters started using their feet to him. And then, you remember the famous slow balls he bowled to, uh, was it Graham Thorpe? The famous one where the ball just loops and Graham Thorpe has no idea what's happened. And, and a few, Chris Reed was another one, if I'm not mistaken, from every self at all. Maybe the Chris Reed one was from Chris Cairns. Uh, I was going to say
1: it was Chris Cairns. That, that, Chris that's that's the, one of the famous ones. That, but there's also stories of that happening early on. There's some with Simon O'Donnell um, yeah. and Franklin Stevenson as well um it did there was uh, so for those who don't know i, I give a brief expl- explanation of why that happens essentially every other ball that comes out of a fast bowler's hand goes down mm-hmm. um and a slower ball goes up and so if your first instinct is that it's a beamer coming at your head and and yeah. i've i know people who faced uh, bravo for like 15 years and mm-hmm. still thought every time he bowled one they thought it was going to be a beamer but now batters are so much more used to them they don't do the duck Anymore, so they exactly, stay in yeah. their position just that couple of seconds. If it is a beamer, they'll back themselves to get out of the way, Um, and that's why it's happened. So yeah, uh, Courtney Walsh certainly, uh, even even Curtly Curtly didn't have a solo ball for a long time, and then suddenly yeah. had a good one. So it was it was a thing that happened at that period.
2: Yeah, uh, and you know, so Joel Garner would have d- gone the same route. He would have developed. He was so skillful that he would have developed enough additional skills to and would have still backed himself to nail that Yorker. Mm. I mean, yes, there are all these shots that are being played these days. Not everyone is good at do, playing those shots. I mean, some, like whether it's surya Kumar Yadav or A.B. De Villiers or Lance Kluzner. Hey, on Lance Kluzner, I was just thought that came to mind, Jared. I'm sure you discussed about this particular cricket in the last few weeks. But doesn't Shivam Dubey, just some of the things he does remind you of Lance Kluzner? I know people have compared him with Yuvraj Singh. But every time I see Shivam Dubey hit certain areas... It, it kind of reminds me of
1: Lance Klusner. maybe a discussion for the future. I, I, just, I think he's not the same kind of... Like, Klusner wasn't a clean striker. I know that sounds no. ridiculous because yeah. it, it, there was a bit of... I don't know, he just... He, he just such a uh, high backlift sort of, lift as well. Yeah. Like, was, I, I get like, what unique. you're saying, but I think there was probably, there's probably mm. a more, you know, muscular or masculine style to Klusner, whereas Shivan Dube is probably the long, long straight lines um, yeah. a little bit more. But, I mean, Shivan Dube this might sound this is going to sound sacrilege, but I mean purely aesthetically, when you look at the backlift and everything, is maybe more Garfield Sobers. Oh, right. Yeah, like he, if you actually look at true, it, that's true. Yeah, that, yeah, almost yeah. like a combination of those three guys. It's got that? Like, yeah. What and and we just have to be really clear here because the comment section might burn down. We're not comparing <laughs> in them in talent to Shivam Dubey, just how they actually look. Um, Cricket but, analyst Jared Kimber compares <laughs> Shivam Dubey to Gary Sober. I can see the headline already. <laughs> have I ever told you about the one that went viral early on? Uh, I must have, actually, it might have been a little while into my career. It was, might have been the 2013 Ashes, when I said as a joke on Polite Inquiries, that um, the only way for England to win this test match is if Ben Stokes turns into Garfield Sobers. And the headline they put on it was, um, (laughs) is Stokes the new Sobers, right? (laughs) And like, that Twitter just, no one watched the video, of course, of which, of course. you know, uh, and so, I, you know, it was that was good fun. Um, One thing I'd say about Garner, which I do think is interesting, Sachmo, if he bowled today, is because he was so tall, mm. Um, these days in T20 cricket, that's probably more of a help at the start of the innings. And he was known as the legend at the end. I think he was a pretty good bowler at the start as well. But yeah. these days, I wonder if he'd be even more value at the top yeah. because he had lateral movement and he was tall and he was fast. And, and there's no way you could hit him off a leg. Right, like it, you know, the, the kind of bowler he was a little bit like you know, I mean, Joel Garner was what Mone Moku hinted at yeah. being, right? Like, and yeah. Mone Moku never quite got to that level. So, um, no, it's, it's a very, very good question. Um, uh, thank you very much for that one. Niran says. As batters find it difficult to bat in different conditions, does the same apply for umpires? Well, hey, we have an umpire. For example, subcontinental batters find it hard to bat in South Africa due to the high bounce. Would Nit Menon or Kumar or similarly underestimate the bounce in South Africa compared to someone like Paul Rifle? If so, does it make any difference with DRS? We, we I mean, the ICC should know that the answer to this, yeah. and, you yeah. know, um, and without texting Simon Torfel um, at this hour and asking him, my assumption is they should know this. I would say it would play some part, but most of those elite umpires have probably umpired in so many places it wouldn't, uh, it, it wouldn't um, have a problem. But I think umpiring against even nationalities you're not used to and the way yeah. that different players play cricket is confusing for um, umpires i've certainly seen that happen you know in in places before
2: i think the pitch conditions wouldn't make too much of a difference but like you said they get used to it Uh, once you reach a nitin menon or a kumar dharmasena level the elite level the elite panel you've done enough games that's why you are at the elite panel and these days there are so many wonderful exchange exchange programs that happen not just Mm. at first class level i mean we're used to seeing An Australian umpire come and do a couple of Ranji Trophy games. Uh, You'll see an umpire from somewhere else come and do a couple of Shield games. But even at a slightly lower level, uh, at the grassroots levels of umpiring, you see a lot of exchange programs happening. So you get exposed to it. I mean, if you are identified by your state association or your national board as someone who you can be, who they can invest in in terms of umpiring. Uh, they will start sending you out a lot more. There are developmental programs. There's a proper system in place in most cult- countries for umpiring. It's a lot like uh, the grassroots for players. So they get used to that. And also, uh, you'll see a lot of them, uh, all of them, come and spend some time in the nets. Doesn't mean the nets, the pitches in the nets yeah. uh, will do exactly what the pitches in the middle will do. Rarely that happens. I mean, the pitches and uh, the practice wickets that Australia were given in Gaul last year—they were seaming around, <laughs> and we all know how the pitches played.
1: Well, uh, the, the best the one was the wacker when the wacker pitches started to crumble and fall apart yeah, and yeah. not be very good anymore. The wacker nets were still like the old wacker wicket, right? So in the nets, you'd be like doing this the whole time, and then in the middle. <laughs> Irfan Patan's the best bowler, right? Like it it was so, so different. So those things do happen. Um, But yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, with, with the way that modern cricket is, I think things have changed quite a bit Um, with that. And also, you know, you're talking about Kumar Dhammasena. He actually played cricket around the world, right? He exactly. bowled in Australia.
2: Yeah, I uh, know. And true. I think the things that they might struggle with or they have to get used to is the noise. I think that's, you speak to uh, Richard Kettleber as someone I speak to a lot. Whenever I bump into him, and he's he's wonderful to talk to because he breaks it down really nicely. Umpiring itself and the challenges now obviously so experienced coming to the subcontinent all these years. But the first thing they'll tell you is when they do go and so even with the exchange programs, if you go and do a Ranji Trophy match, at the max you'll get like what three thousand people watching. If if it's a really popular game or there's a big star playing, but you go into a Test match or an IPL, the noise is deafening, right? And it is a challenge. So as an umpire at any level, you. It's not always that you hear the nick. I can tell you, even, on, even when you're doing a school game, it's quiet. There's just the parents who are just, mm. uh you know, mumbling away and, and hopefully preparing like a nice sandwich for not just the players, but the umpires as well, uh, and not watching the cricket. Even then, there are times when you don't hear a nick. And now, just superimpose that into uh an IPL game or an international test match in India, where there's so much constant noise. It's not like England or even in Australia where the noise goes up and down. There's just, a, especially when, say, a couple of wickets have fallen in the same order, or one wicket has fallen, when the noise is just that the decibel levels are so high in India when a wicket has fallen, it, it can be a challenge. I think those things they will struggle struggle with early on. But even there, you find ways. Like, I, I have my own technique when it comes to uh, LBWs. I've discussed it with a few umpires and some think it's good some are not sure is uh, what i do is because i watch so much nets anyway even when i'm umpiring i try to figure out a batter's uh, the, uh footwork and whatever level you play most batters have repetitive foot movement right mm. i mean it's challenge if someone gets out first ball but you kind of study i try to study their footwork and get get a fair idea of where they are the front foot is back foot is at the point of delivery and all of that. So that kind of helps you at times when the bowler is the batter is struck somewhere. You're like, okay, this is where his front foot moves ball after ball after ball to a fast bowler. So I kind of, uh, have an idea that if he gets hit there, the chances are that it's 90% out in my head. Then you kind of like take a decision at that point. So I think every umpire has a technique, whether it's at my low level or at uh, the elite panel and, uh, uh, so those things you kind of start using a lot more when it is you are exposed to a alien condition, like whether it, it's in terms of noise or different batters, or like you said, if you're umpiring against a nationality that you haven't uh, umpired, or if it's a team that you've never had anything to do with that can be a challenge as well so that's why you see the best umpires are always the best communicators as well i've always believed that the best umpires make great husbands or male umpires i'm sure it's similar to i should say the best partners of my husbands uh because they're very good at communicating you still communicate what you want to communicate without ever you know making sure that it's never a confrontation
1: and on that no <laughs> we'll have a quick break and then after the break we'll see if there's any questions in the chat you're listening to Uncover with jared kimber and barrett Sundarasan. welcome back to Uncover, jared kimber and barrett Sundarasan. uh look let's finish this off very quick we just got a couple of questions that i thought uh were interesting in the chats uh all things cinema vodcast says oh i suppose it's better if i put it on the screen isn't it uh, what do you make of Rahane's inclusion for the world test championship final fab IPL and a decent rangy season? I think he had a fantastic Ranji, didn't he? Uh, it makes sense to back experience in England. Uh, look. Yeah. I think a lot of it is to do with the ball moving laterally. Whatever had happened to our Rahane over the last couple of years <laughs> seems to have been shaken off from him. Great catch in the IPL again today. Um, and so I think it makes sense if they still think he's one of the best players I've seen in the team to at least take him over um you know that, that I don't think that necessarily means he's going to play um uh, but i could mm. see why you might take him over and see how things are going
2: i think it's also uh, an indication from the indian selectors that they're not that, that there is a uh, there is a question mark about that indian middle order right like post kohli the number 5 position yes shreyas Iyer is injured unfortunately and he would have been part of the squad if he wasn't injured uh but you know, has it it's still he's not really cemented it like made it his own? Like, even I'm sure, knowing how skillful he is and how talented he is and how determined he is to play test cricket, I'm sure he'll make it his own at some point out in the future. But at the moment, they still feel like number five is still up in the air. Uh, but in it, but that even sense. if he
1: does make it his own. This is the thing. If we don't know if he'll ever be as good at playing. Um, it, it doesn't matter because he's not in in this. Uh, he's yeah. not fit anyway. But we don't know if he'll be uh, that good against a lateral moving ball in England we, anyway, yeah, right? Like exactly. And that, he, he could be one of the best players in the world in in many other conditions. But we just don't know how that will go. At least with brahano they're like, wow, uh, he struggled over the last couple of years. He looks like he's got his mojo back and he can do that thing. You know, It's a bit like uh, Australia taking, you know, Renshaw or or in the old days when they take Darren Lehman to Asia right Yeah. by that exactly. point they kind of decided Darren Lehman wasn't their main player but when they go to Asia they might, they'll, might might take him again
2: yeah and uh, I think the opposition maybe also has come into uh, or maybe also played a big role in it this record against Australia and I think the, the feeling around uh, the world is the oval I don't think it's as bouncy as it used to be correct me if I'm wrong uh, but it it is it's, it's a pitch where uh, especially in June there'll be more bounds, which is where Rahane comes into his zone, and I think it's, it's just what he's done against Australia as a captain as a batter over the years, uh, away from home uh, more so than at home. I think would have played a a role in it as well, and, and India are desperate to win this World Test Championship final. Uh, if you are Rahul Ravid, you you not you don't have a world title. I mean, India haven't won a world title in a long time. I'm sure we've all spoken about it a lot. Is, is you but sure? Un- no
1: one's mentioned that to
2: me on Twitter. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, in the last couple of minutes, because you haven't checked. Twitter, yeah, <laughs> I saying. probably had four <laughs> tweets about it. So I think and. and Uh, if not pressure, but there is this expectation that, you know, you're Rahul Ravid, you need to win something major away from home. I think that hasn't happened. They didn't win in South Africa. Yes, they are beaten Australia at home now in a series which could have gone either way, right? Uh, So I think that also maybe had a role to play in it. Uh, But I think it's more to do with them identifying the fact that, look, number five, we don't know if Shreyas would have been there, we would have taken him. Surya Kumar Yadav just played that one test against Australia. I don't see uh, uh, them having risked playing him in this big final that they really are desperate to win, uh, uh, having made it once before, and you know you know what happened there two years ago. So I think that played a big role in it as well. Like the opening, the fact that Australia or India think uh, the selectors think well that number five not uh, con- we're not convinced it's been taken. So it might still be a stopgap uh, selection, and also the runs in the uh, the Ranji Trophy uh, would have helped as well.
1: Uh, Kyle says, since there's one game a night, are IPL TV ratings heavily affected by the standing of the team's playing? Uh, Or or is it more market size and player popularity? It's all three. Uh, I don't think there's one or the other, and it probably depends on different times. Obviously, at the moment, even if Chennai weren't winning any games, I think Dhoni's ratings would be absolutely through the roof. Uh, The smaller markets certainly have a part to play, but I remember the ratings going down. I think I was talking to a... I can't remember, if it was an IPL executive or TV executive, that they they were like, "Yeah, we had a bad year this year because Chennai and Mumbai both struggled." Um, so those things are very, very yeah. real. So I I don't think it, it really is a combination of all three. It's not just uh, one or two things.
2: Yeah, and it's not just TV ratings this year. Don't forget, it's TV ratings and digital ratings. So they're yeah. being shared. It's not. Uh, uh, the same as it used to be in all uh, the, the previous years anyway. Well, there's the last more few people years. watching
1: it because of GEO putting it free to air, right? So, well, fr- free to stream, free 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 to app. I don't know. Whatever, whatever you want to call that.
2: Yeah. But, uh, I mean, you read interviews from Sanjog Gupta. There's a really good one uh, in the Economic Times from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, Sanjay Gupta, of course, who heads star, uh, star sports. A- and he speaks about there being a 25% spike in TV ratings and how, except the COVID years, where obviously more people were watching on TV because they couldn't work the crowd. Uh, this is the the best numbers they've done uh, ever in the IPL, if you leave 2020-2021 aside. Uh, and uh, despite the Infiltration of uh, geo and uh, digital streaming, which they don't have anymore. Uh, they it used to be on Hotstar in the past, as you know. So I think that has also played a role in it. Uh, but but you're right. I mean, it comes to the ratings itself. It has nothing to do with uh, just. Well, I mean, it can't just be one factor. And also, I think weekend games you just get more. Uh, unlike in uh, the one difference I would say between Indian audiences and audiences in Australia or England is on a Friday night more people go out in Australia, depending, especially if it's summer, I mean, it's when cricket is played, yeah. sun's out, it's nice weather, so you, you're you out more than you are in India, where there aren't so many options to go out and uh, have a good evening unless you are ready to spend money. Uh, here, you can just, uh, you know, go for a walk or go to the beach or do whatever. Like, I'm sure it, it is in England as well. So I think that plays a big role uh, as well. So you'll find numbers spiking towards uh, the weekend because that's when families are together and sitting in front of the mm-hmm. television but maybe i'm generalizing i haven't lived in india for five years so maybe things have changed
1: you are girish has <laughs> uh do you think the bowling and economy of 7.5 uh, on a flat deck like tuniswami is more valuable than uh averaging a oh, score of 40 at a strike rate of 120 a very tough pitch? the best way of putting this is every single t20 innings is contextual and yeah. we have some information that we can textualize and we can, we can get the, uh you know, the interest. So for instance, if you, you know, if you score 40 in the middle overs um, on a tough pitch, that might actually be above the scoring rate of the rest of the game. Right. Or exactly. if you're batting, if you have, if you make 40, but you batted the last 10 overs, chances are you're going to be below the um, scoring rate of the game. So, that's the big thing with T twenty cricket. I just think every single thing is contextual, which to be fair, your question has has brought about. But that's the only way to really look at those things. You can't look at them in isolation in any other way. And over a long period of time, you can you can definitely see the the bowlers who um you can definitely see the bowlers or the batters uh if they're successful based on that contextual information which means a lot far more than just the sort of the raw numbers that we're used to uh, i'm just putting it out there that the best bowler in the league may not be a guy who bought one over for chennai today despite the fact he has the most wickets
2: oh i was just going to bring up to yeah uh, so how do you read into him being the uh, purple cap holder But is he still the? I think Mohamed Shami Is overtaken I think he's equal regardless. Purple he cap equal? holder Yeah I think they both have yeah.
1: 17 I think that's right That's right Well I looked it yeah. up today He so. uh, He has the There's no bowler who's ever taken 15 wickets In an IPL season At anything above 9.7 runs and over And coming in today He was going at 11s Yeah Um. And the, I think the top Three worst seasons ever Were all part Not part-timers But all-rounders You know uh, Andre Russell And Shardil yeah. Thakur Those sorts of Those sorts of bowlers it's phenomenal. Um, he's He does attack at times when I think someone should be telling him not to, but they're pushing him in that particular way. Yeah. But as I said earlier, I do think Deepak Chahar was perhaps rushed back in to give them a little bit more stability, yeah. uh, a little bit more consistency there. It's very rare to combine a, economy rate that high with an average that low and usually what happens is you might get someone like like a perfect example who did it one year who took a lot of wickets but at a you know at around eight nine and over and andre russell's done this a lot in his career there's you know there's a few guys like that it doesn't usually trans transpose that you get a 10 or 11 or a 12 runs per over because eventually the wickets do actually chip even if you're bowling hit me balls Eventually, the wickets do chip trim down on the economy. So, uh, yeah, I I mean, I think the best answer about him is that I will definitely be making a video of him. I'm just getting more data before I do it. Um, uh, Karen says, uh, don't you think it's time for the Champions Trophy to come back uh, now that there are so many leagues around? So the reason that we'll never come back is because it didn't work financially, um, exactly. and because people around the world didn't tune into their games. A lot of it to, is to do with time zone. Champions yeah. League in in England in or in England in Europe makes sense because everyone's on roughly the same time zones. Uh, that's not the, same, the case in cricket. Also, Dirt Nannis uh, qualified for about nine teams, I think, in one year, <laughs> and Karen Pollard sure. about seven teams. Uh, eventually, it, I think it'll be much less like football, and it'll be much more like uh, basketball. And basketball used to have a version of this. I think it was called the mcdonald's cup or the mcdonald's trophy i think the chicago bulls played in europe one year no one took it seriously and that's what (laughs) would happen with the champions trophy it's i personally would have loved it if it would have kept going and it would have ended up being bigger than the ipl i think it would have been a fantastic thing but it's not that the the geography of cricket the business model of cricket everything just not doesn't make any sense Uh, and if you read about the history of the champions league it
2: was also one of the reasons one of the many reasons it came into being was. they also wanted star sports to be on their side and stars if you remember sony get the rights for the ipl yeah and you know star sports had the rights for the champions league till it lasted uh, okay. and there was a lot of fanfare around the champions league uh, the first one obviously got uh, postponed because of the terror attacks in mumbai in 2008 uh and it's all momentum as well right so the mm. ipl starts in in may the april that year And the first ever Champions League was supposed to happen in December that year. I mean, who knows if it happens the same year. Maybe, yeah. Maybe the trajectory is different. But because of of the terror attack and the postponement, it starts for the first time in 2009, by which time the IPL's already had two seasons, one in India, one in South Africa. It's already picked up steam. And the Champions League, maybe. Who knows? It's all about timing. Everything in life is.
1: I mean, you're watching the Otago vaults, right? Exactly. And it just you know middle uh, you know i think middlesex might have played one year or whatever yeah, they did, it yeah. just wasn't the same right yeah so, so an ipl team that they, they shouldn't be playing against middlesex or otago Vults. it's not even and so things have slightly changed in that and now that you have the you know south african league and, and it's a fair question that, that he asked from that perspective but will indian audiences watch it is the only thing that would bring it back it costs a lot of money to run so it does. Um, and you know, and, 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 so from that perspective, I just don't think we'll ever see it again. I don't think it will make the money. It, it, I still think it would have been fantastic. Also, was it Mumbai who had five overseas players one year? Cause they just changed the rules, um, to allow them to have an extra overseas player, uh, which was, uh, I always appreciated the ability to just change the rules, uh, in midway through a tournament, <laughs> uh, to help uh, one of the bigger teams. Anyway, mate, I think that's us for this week. I would like to thank uh, the great man for coming on. Uh, you can find him. Wait, what you your Twitter account is beastie boy. Yeah, that's right. I should know that I have to write it down about 83 times a day. <laughs> uh, you can find me at, ajaredkimber, uh, a Jared Kimber, I think. Uh, but, uh, thank you for supporting the podcast. If you put a comment up or if you're involved in Patreon, uh, I tell you this, Sarah is very, very impressed with the question level so far. In fact, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure I'll get him back to uncovered because he's sick and tired of my questions. He'd much prefer <laughs> uh, he'd much prefer nerdy questions about umpiring, which to be fair, I thought I was the king of, but apparently I've I've been supplanted by people like Neron. Uh, but big thanks to everyone for coming on and we will see you again next time. Thanks for listening to Wagon Wheel. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon, which also allows you to ask questions before anyone else and many other extras as well. There is a link in the show notes. And if you want more content, well, I have good news for you because we have a lot of things. You can follow us on YouTube where we make all kind of crazy stuff like complete history of New Zealand opening batters and how Kegisa Rabada was dismissed from a zombie ball. We do a similar thing on TikTok. I also have an emailer that sends out a couple of columns a week. And we run another podcast called Double Century on the History of Cricket. This podcast is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapiya producing podcasts, Maida Akam producing some of the shows, and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content.
0: Plus Network.